to Health Razors. Health Razors don't just survive, together we thrive. I'm your host, Dr. Nadine. Welcome, Linda K. Stroll. I am so happy that we are having this conversation. It has been something I've wanted to do for mm, a couple of years now since I met you. I met you through another wonderful person in the community, Ellie. And I remember talking to her in her shop and she said, you have to meet Linda. And we did, we met. And I just knew I had a friend for life in this community, a kindred spirit who simply believes in the power of community and not just lip service, but dedicated to making this community a wonderful place to live. So I really want to talk to you about your work on record um, with Meals on Wheels in Southwest Michigan. I'm going to kind of tell the audience this story that really sparked this. Okay, that's it. I'm driving to Linda's house and we're going to have this talk. I saw on Facebook a posting about um, a day where you were having difficulties with the drivers, with the trucks, and everyone pivoted and everyone rallied around and you made sure to get the deliveries out to the people who needed them on time. And to me, that is a person I admire. Um, You are a person I respect. And... You inspire me to keep going and to find more creative ways to be a steward of my community because I love Sawyer too. So thank you for being here. Well, thank you. I have to honestly give the credit to my staff because they come to work every day did through the pandemic, suited up, went out, committed to making sure their seniors, as as each of our drivers talks about them, were safe and got meals. They inspire me with their dedication. And some of them are volunteers. We do have staff drivers, but the staff drivers don't get paid much. And they still, they come in with the best attitude. We laugh, we joke. They go out and do wonderful things for their seniors take flowers to them, take their mail, take heaters if somebody's furnace is out. Mm. Most of which I don't hear about Mm. until somebody calls and says, thank you for the flowers. And I said, you're very welcome, but (laughs) they weren't from us. (laughs) (laughs) The theme today is altruism. And of course that's, that's, I automatically thought of you as one of those people who lives that way. What does altruism mean to you? Well, it's a deep subject, um, and and I did what I often do uh, to kind of get an opening into altruism, and I I went to Google and looked up some of the research, the the social research on mm. altruism, and mm. and is it innate, and when does it start in children, and how is it defined, and I think altruism really is about giving something when you don't expect something back. It's not transactional, Mm -hmm. which I think most of our culture nowadays is. Mm -hmm. But 
having said that, I think that most of the people I know who either work in altruistic ways or are volunteers or um, are large donors feel as if they almost got more back than they gave. And I think that that's one of the real secrets. Um, uh, people volunteer for many different reasons. They volunteer for many, many, many different activities, school, church, community, organizations that mean something to them. Some volunteer to gain skills, to, to, to buff up a resume. Other, others volunteer to try something new mm. and to perhaps explore new ways. Mm. Um, but I think all of it comes from a sense that we're really and truly all one. In order for us to thrive, we have to act as one and we have to understand that our needs do not necessarily supersede somebody else's. How do you make that a way of living? How, you know, you hear people say that. That is something you hear and see on Facebook and, and other social media outlets or when you watch a heartfelt story on a newscast, you know, it's like, yeah, we are one. And, but it's easy to say that and it's a totally different stance. It's a totally different posture to actually live that way. How do you stay hopeful and how do you keep that in the forefront of your mind? Again, I, I go back to my staff because they live that and they, in many ways, model it for me. Mm. Um, they, they recognize um, the challenges, certainly in America at this point, mm -hmm. and historic challenges in America. Um, about 50% of my staff are persons of color. 50% um, of my management staff um, are persons of color. And of my admin staff, what do I want to say? 80% are. I'm sort of the token in the office, which, which keeps me very cognizant of how that would feel to someone who isn't mm -hmm. in the majority. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that, that it's what affects me doesn't only affect me. When I have a problem, for example, um, and have to call technology or, or Google or something, I have to keep in mind that I am not the only person having that problem. Hmm. Just as our seniors, um, one senior who may be having lots of challenges, not the only one who's, who's, having, who's facing those challenges. Or a child who's having trouble learning in school or has an abusive uh, family or community. They're not the only ones either. And what, you know, in thinking about, for example, health equity, what, what affects one group of people or one population doesn't just affect them. It has a domino effect on, on everyone. And so why should we sort of take the stance that we are better or different and my problems or your problems don't, don't, don't impact on me? 
Hmm. I, I, it, it just, it's never made sense for me um, to have that position. Okay, so it sounds like this has been a, a theme for you, a, a, something that you have practiced with time. So take me back to the work that you've done to get you to this point, to um, your work in with uh, Meals on Wheels. Well, I have to say it all kind of goes back up to the boarding school that I went to, which was very involved in social justice and health and equity, equity issues. And that's a group of women that I continue to, to interact with. Um, many people mistakenly assume that our work is focused on Benton Harbor, um, that Meals on Wheels programs are only for poor. Our programs are needs-based, not income-based and we serve people who live on the lake in New Buffalo, live on the lake in St. Joe, as well as people who don't have those means. So what does that mean, needs-based? Needs-based means if they're homebound and not able to shop or cook for themselves okay. or don't have anyone to do it, okay. and, and they're over 60. Mm. So um, it, it really doesn't matter who they are as long as they have those needs. Um, it also meant that I started looking at our policies and procedures internally to make sure that there weren't inequities built into the policies and, and salaries and made some real adjustments in terms of um, titles, um, salaries equivalent to the amount of work that they did, which ended up, quite frankly, changing the demographics, the racial demographics of the office. And, and it has ended up, the, the outcome has been a much more cohesive group because there aren't these inequities and these possibilities for resentment or uh, something like that. Because everybody knows we're all working together. And during the pandemic, I knew I could work from home. I am set up to work from home. But I don't feel as a leader, that it is fair for me to be sitting in my little office mm. while everyone else is at work. Mm -hmm, I don't mm -hmm. think you can lead that way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I went in every day and in fact went in every morning and, and wiped everything down with, with uh, you know, with sanitizer mm -hmm. to make sure that when everybody got in, it was going to be clean. It makes me unusual. I think some people think that I should be sort of sitting in my office, taking meetings and doing things like that. But that's kind of never been who I am. I do that. I do a lot of that. I do a lot of administration. Mm -hmm. But I also pick up the phone mm -hmm. and I talk to clients and I hear what's going on um, and I hear their challenges. And I think that makes me much more effective in, in developing programs and in understanding who the seniors are and what the evolving needs are. What I'm hearing in your the conversation we're having so far is that you've always been very sure about who you are, what you want, why you're here, who you want to serve, more importantly, how to best set yourself up to be successful in the way you want to be, meaning you choose the people around, you choose to be around people who support the vision of community, who support the vision of altruism, who support the vision of serving, 
And I, I want to say selflessness, but it's not exactly selflessness because we do get, as you said, we do. I'm a servant as well. I, I'm a community right. person. Right. And yes, we do benefit. We get endorphins too yeah. from right. helping another person. Sure. sure. So I, I really love that I'm hearing you ch- also choose your community. You choose people who are going to uplift the work that you're doing. And in turn, you can uplift them as well. I have to say that I I came into a community that was like that at work, that had really, in some ways, had to close ranks because of the previous executive director. Mm. And um, I it would have been easy for me to have gone in and said, um, you are not all, you know, tech savvy and, and um, you know, the office isn't all, you know, cubes and modern looking and, and you are, are, you know, not coming in and whatever, suit that wasn't suits and so on. And I took the time to listen to what was going on and to, and, and to try to get the sense of how everybody worked and worked together. And it meant that I didn't have a magic wand in terms of um, hiring a whole bunch of new people. Um, But it also meant that the people who weren't really pulling their weight and who were, were relying on other people who weren't actually getting paid as much to do their work, that they left didn't happen overnight, but they eventually left. And so the people who I had seen working and carrying the weight all along, mm. I was given the opportunity to, to raise them up, to raise their salaries, to raise their, their positions, and to reward them for what they'd been doing and encourage them and support them in how they worked. And that has led to people who are happy doing what they do. Um, I try to treat my staff as adults and the point at which they start acting like children and I have to treat them like children. But people, people don't clock in and out. I mean, they have to go run to the bank or something, they run, go run to the bank. They, so it's, it's, mm. it, and it's, it's less formal but with this group of people, I think it works better because they feel trusted and they feel as if there's not somebody, you know, saying you're a minute early clocking out or something like that, which somebody recently told me that their boss said that. It's like, I don't, I don't have time in my life for that kind mm. of micromanagement. Mm. Mm. Um, but again, they... Alice, my director of operations, she's usually there before seven. She often doesn't leave until four. Patty, who's, who's assistant director of operations for sort of lack of a better term, but is nobody's assistant. She often comes in on a Saturday because it's easier for her to do her paperwork and her reconciliation when the phones aren't, aren't going. She doesn't charge for that. So, and, and, and I, I don't, this has been, Really, honestly, I've been feeling my way through this. 
um, and letting them kind of tell me what works. So that takes a lot of trust. It takes confidence. It takes faith is what I'm hearing to cultivate a culture that works from everyone. And what struck me from what you were just saying, I, I treat them like adults and, and people kind of do what they need to do and I'm not micromanaging, is you were doing the thing that people were craving so much before the whole work from home thing. And, you know, if only we could just kind of be left alone a little bit and treated with some dignity and respect, that we would we would work better. We would be more productive and be more relaxed and find more joy and humanity in the work that we're doing. Sounds like you are already doing that without really thinking about it. It, it made sense to me. I just it just sort of made sense, and I had the benefit. Um, my my late husband was a gifted manager, and mm. I sometimes think that there's you know he's kind of sitting on my shoulder mm. saying, mm, what, what about this? Mm. What about that? Mm. Um, it um, and it it's it's been interesting, uh, particularly during the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter issues and mm. some of the issues um, around. Um, you know, working in a community of color. Um, it has been in interesting, uh, some of the conversations and the trust building that's happened. I had a, a, a situation with a staff member who was very upset and was talking about bringing a gun. And so he and I got into a heated discussion. Then I went back and, and, and calmed down and he'd calmed down. We sat down and talked. and. What I didn't know is that there had been a rumor that a group of white supremacists were going to come into Benton Harbor and create. And he was worried. He was worried for his family. He was worried for himself. Mm. And he had had a, his father had had a situation in the South where he was almost beaten to death mm. by a white man. And later on, through nothing that his father did but, but, um, the man was found dead. And that informs, that informs a life. And I, as a white person, can't really understand that viscerally. But I can hear that and, and, and let that inform me as well. I'm going to say, though, you got to want to. Well, it's true, but but that's been something I've been interested in since, you know, I was in high school. Growing up in Hyde Park, I never understood the the gradations and variations between people. They were just people until I went away to school and started seeing how people were treated differently. And I was horrified. I mean, it was, it, I was just, I guess I was so naive, but, you know, you know, Hyde Park is just, it's sort of a melting pot. And mm -hmm. it was unusual then because it was an intentionally integrated community. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so I was exposed to a lot of things. I, a friend of mine, uh, who was my roommate in LA for a while, I came home and I walked in the door and I said, Deborah Robinson, you are hot combing your hair. <laughs> she walked out of the kitchen. She said, how did you know? I said, there is no <laughs> smell in the entire world. <laughs> 
That's so true. Other than hot combing <laughs> your hair. We laughed about it. We still laugh about it. She's still one of my best friends. And we, and, you know, we find, you know, a little bit of more protein in the hair that <laughs> in the kitchen. Um, and Jim and I uh, went to, to uh, something, a Christmas Eve service in South Central that he was getting some, an award at. And the fans, your late husband? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the fans came out. And Jim's like, looked at me, and I'm like, oh, those are the fans from the funeral home. And honestly, I don't know how I knew that. I must have gone to church when I was very, I mean, it just came, it just came out. <laughs> but it, it's things like that, that, and he grew up in in, in New York, so it, it wasn't exactly a, mm-hmm. a, he grew up in poor mm-hmm. New York, so it was, it was a real melting pot, but my experience was different. So, so I, I mean, I think in many ways, most of my experience, most of my skills, I think probably every one of my skills, has been called into play in this in this position mm. and and stretched. I mean, honestly, I've never I've never managed a group of people. I've had I've had staff work mm-hmm. for me, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it was usually one or two people. Mm-hmm. I haven't managed this large a group of people. What brought you to this position? I had been doing some consulting for them. I moved here in 2005 and um, uh, thought it would be fairly easy because I sort of grew up in this, coming here in the summers, that would be a community I could slip into, which turned out not to be the case, um, and that I could actually, you know, get myself a job and discovered that at that point, particularly, women were not paid well. Mm. And so I, I did some consulting. I did some consulting under uh, through a grant with the Kellogg Foundation in, I think, 2008, um, and eight, eight, nine, ten, and uh, then started doing some grant writing and consulting at Meals on Wheels or Senior Nutrition Services, which is now Meals on Wheels of Southwest Michigan, as a DBA. And I got a phone call one day from the executive director saying, I'm leaving and I want you to take over. And I said, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm not ready. That's not, well, no, I said, that's not your call. Ah, I mean, okay. The, okay. You, you can't just hire me. I mean, <laughs> the board has to do that. And so I walked into this board meeting with her. But the, the problem was the board didn't know she was leaving. And she basically said, I'm leaving on Monday. And this was a Thursday. <laughs> Surprise! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so she basically walked out, left her desk as if she were coming back tomorrow. And um, there were there were all kinds of sort of overlaying issues. But um, so I just sort of walked into this, and mm. no no transition, no transfer of information, no no nothing. So the first first couple months were really really interesting. <laughs> Got hit with a lawsuit. From, Oh my goodness! A breach of contract lawsuit mm. by the meals contractor. I mean, it was mm. it was it was pretty wild. And we were in the red, hundred thousand dollars in the red. And I had to figure out either either we were going to save it or shut it down. Hmm. And shutting it down, as far as I was concerned, was not an option. I'm hungry for some stories um, with the actual people you serve. Well, um, there are. There are hundreds of stories. Mm. There are hundreds of stories. There's the lovely lady 
because I do go out and, and deliver meals. So I get the, um, it was a lovely lady in her nineties, um, who'd worked in a factory all her life, never married, took care of her parents, lived next to them for much of her life and had neuropathy that was moving because she stood on a cement floor for eight hours a day for 30 years that was actually moving up her body. But you walked into her house and you could see the vacuum tracks and her hair was always impeccably groomed (laughs) and her nails were impeccably done. And she would call me and, or when she made a donation, she would write a critique of the meals. This meal was good. This meal was bad. (laughs) Which I actually appreciated. I went, there was over when we were turning our 25th year, we had some some people, videographers go there. And one was a young man. There were a couple that were young men. And Agnes turned on like a light (laughs) with these young men. (laughs) And it was hard getting them out of there. Oh, that's wonderful. And then, and here's another entertaining one. There was a, we had a lovely, lovely driver that we all, in the office, we call many of the, many of the drivers Mr. as a, as an honorific. Mm. Jesse went to someone's house. It was in Benton Harbor, went to someone, someone's house. And it was the, the mother of a fairly significant Benton Harbor person. And she said, have you, have you, uh, have you kissed your wife this morning? And this is a man who was the deacon of his church. He sings in a gospel music group. He turned as bright red. He said, well, yes, ma'am, I, I, I kissed my wife. And she said, well, why don't you just sit down right next to me? And this is a woman in her 90s. Sit right down next to me. I'd like to get to know you. And he sort of backed out saying, uh, I'm going to leave your meal I love it. So, so we tease we tease our drivers about their girlfriends, boyfriends, <laughs> um, and then we have the stories that are much more difficult. Mm-hmm. The stories mm-hmm. of people. Uh, we had a story which is both amusing and and sad. Um, I got a phone call one day from our site manager who said that her volunteer had gone to deliver him a meal and the man had no clothes on. And most of the drivers have had that experience one way or another. Hey, these are things you don't hear about, the not-so-easy, the not-so-fun parts right. of the job and how how do you stay hopeful and motivated and dedicated when it's really hard. Yeah. So I called him and I said, you know, sir, no, sh- no, no pants, no service. And he said, well, I, I, I can't wear pants. And I said, <clears throat> okay. Um, what about underwear or boxer shorts? And he said, oh, those are too uncomfortable. And I said, what about a towel? Oh, they don't make them big enough. (laughs) At this point, I'm thinking, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. And it was clear at that point that there was some cognition issues. And he said, you know, in Vietnam, the women didn't, weren't so upset about that. And I said, yeah, but we're not in Vietnam anymore. Um, and I said, could you just put your hand around the door? Um, and so he, he did that for a couple of days. And then the site manager had to do an assessment and went over and he, 
he had to be hospitalized. He was, he was, had slipped significantly. And he died and no one in the family wanted his ashes. So we do have our challenging clients. Um, we call them our, our, our special, they're special people. Mm. And my staff is very adept at jollying them along. I want to say though, I think it's obviously we're sitting together and I can see you, I can see the body language, my, my audience, this is audio, but it's, it, when you said special, sometimes special, you know, it's, it can be very sarcastic, but I don't get that. That's not what I got from you. It, it, it wasn't demeaning at all to say that. And I don't get the, the sense that that's how you all say to each other, like, Here's another special one. No, we we really don't. I mean, there are people that we sort of tear our hair out about. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I and I've been in the middle of situations um, with Adult Protective Services and a care manager from Area Agency on Aging, and and we're meals people. We're not. We're not case managers, we're not medical social workers. But it can overlap though, can it? It feels well, like it can, right? And I, at one point in my life, thought I'd be a medical social worker. Mm -hmm. And I find that there's quite a bit of that mm -hmm. in what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've, I've had to remind people, and you know, it, 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 everybody gets burnt out, but I've had to remind people that we're not in senior services to only care for the people who are the sweet little old grandmothers and who, who bake cookies with their grandkids. We're, we are here to take care of everyone. And not everyone has the perfect family. Not everyone's children thinks that mom and dad or grandma and grandpa are perfect. And so we see a lot of that. And we try to in some cases, we almost become their family. And that was my next point and slash question. Um, it feels to me like this is such personal relationship work that you can't help but... I was invited to a client's 92nd birthday um, last week. And I couldn't make it, but I, I took took some things down to her and sat and chatted with her for 20 minutes. Now, we'd never met. We'd had copious um, letter, uh, conversations by letter, mm. co correspondence, because she's, she was profoundly deaf. She is profoundly mm. deaf. Her mm. hearing aids at that point were not working. Mm -hmm. um, and this is somebody I had to remind, care manager said, well, I called her and I said, she can't hear the phone. So of course she didn't call you back. Mm. So, um, and I had someone who was hearing impaired who worked for me. And so I thought, how can I communicate? So I started writing our notes back and forth. And we had this whole correspondence back and forth. And so see, you're also learning these other skills and, and having these eureka moments, these realizations that to me sounds like, I was talking to, um, a group of friends a couple of nights ago about ableism and how it's just so ubiquitous. It's it's part of the culture. It's like the water we drink, the air we breathe. You don't necessarily realize it. And that story to me shows, gosh, I would have never thought about that. And maybe the irritation would have taken over. Like, 
what is wrong with her? Why can't she pick up the phone? Well, and and I I I was really cued into it because I tried to have a conversation with her on the phone. And she was answering the questions she thought I was asking. Mm. And she sounded as if she had dementia. Mm. Because mm-hmm. there wasn't there was this break. Mm-hmm. And and she at that point there were all kinds of the family was trying to do this and that and and she, she advocated very strongly and very well for herself. She really another fierce woman. Um, but she had a lot of issues. She's going blind. She had, you know, hearing issues. Um, and people were annoyed. This is, this is one of the situations in which I took to talk to the APS worker and I said, uh, we don't get to pick and choose on this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and she's also the one the driver took a, a heater to. Because her furnace had broken. And I didn't find out about it until later. And I said, Charles, you should have come to me. You didn't have to use your own money. So it's, you know, sometimes I just, you just in, in yoga, you learn if you're hitting a brick wall, right? You don't keep hitting the, you don't keep trying to hit the brick wall. Mm-hmm. You try and go around it mm-hmm. or over it mm-hmm. or understand it mm-hmm. and, and, I, that's often what I have to do with our seniors is, okay, you know, how do I do this differently mm. in a way that works? Would you say then the, the work has bolstered your empathy muscles? Oh, yeah. Oh, no question. There's no, yeah, there's no question. It, it can't, but it can't do anything but that. Um, and it's also, you know, fostered some creativity. That was the other thing. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up. There's, I've heard a lot of creativity in your altruistic work. Um, and, and, and listening. Mm-hmm. Um, during the pandemic, uh, we went from 250 meals a day to 600 in a month. Mm. Um Wow. Which meant a lot of conversations wow. with people. Yeah, it was pretty it was pretty intense. Lots of conversations with people about what they wanted, what their needs were. Um, and what we kept hearing is that they couldn't they couldn't get to the grocery store, particularly down in this area. Yeah. They couldn't get to the grocery mm-hmm. store. Um because they're not so simple. It's not easy to get to. No, there's no transportation. Mm-hmm. Um the deliveries don't occur down in this area. And so, yeah, we were taking them a meal or two meals a day, but they had no other food. So we put together, we had some support from the community and and Martins, and we started putting together shelf-stable groceries. And we did 21 meals, seven days, three meals a day, light, not, but easy, Easy prep, oatmeal and soup and stew and crackers and things like that. So they had something else in the house to nosh on. And then we were hearing, we can't get fresh produce. Mm -hmm. The state started a program with, or expanded a program, I think, um, called Farmers to Families and expanded it to to seniors. Um, And so we were getting weekly deliveries from the food bank in Grand Rapids of 
of five, five pound boxes of, of fresh produce, which was great, except when you got a phone call one day saying, are you trying to kill me? This food is, this fruit is moldy. Um, so we started going through it and it, unfortunately, was not, it was not Because great. it had traveled too far, sat too long. Yeah, it was from the food bank. So it was okay. kind of leftovers okay. and, okay. and, um, and, you know, had been there too long and, 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 you know, so, so we started going through the boxes and we'd break them down and so on. And then that ended in September, 2021. And I thought, you know, this is a really good idea. We've got a really big issue with health, chronic conditions, mm-hmm. and so many of those can be at least managed, if not really helped, by an appropriate diet, a proper diet. Mm-hmm. So we got together with Martins, and we now continue. Twice, twice a month, we send out about over 100 um, bags of fresh produce. And are they more local? Martin's is in Stevensville. Okay. If you don't know them, mm-hmm. that is definitely a place to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's nice. It's clean. It's, it's grade A produce. Mm-hmm. People love it. And um, it, it's a lot of work, but it's been really embraced by funders. And it's, um, you know, people just love it because with the cost of food now, People can't afford fresh produce. Mm-hmm. They're going to they're going to eat. They're going to go for the protein, which is usually more expensive, but is what what they really want, as opposed to the apple. Well, and then there's also, I think of arthritic hands because I yeah. teach yoga. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, yeah. Okay, so yeah. to more mature audiences, and so. These are things that I'm also starting to think more about because these are the people I choose to mm-hmm. surround myself with. I, I listen mm-hmm. like you do. And, you know, so I'll hear things in class. Um, the hands are achy today. I'm having trouble moving them. So I wonder uh, if I have a really good question here. But it's it's also, it, it just can't. It's not just giving the thing over. So it's not just handing them the produce, but also they might need some more help or maybe some help with how to use the produce before it gets bad, how to preserve it, do those these different things so we can extend the shelf life of expensive, hard to get fresh produce. We keep in mind that our clients, our clients uh, don't cook mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. or shouldn't cook. Mm-hmm. So it tends to be things that are oranges. Okay. Um, things okay. that they don't, maybe a, baked, a potato they can bake, mm-hmm. but we're not doing things that have to be peeled and chopped mm-hmm. and as much. Mm-hmm. Um, um, we also encourage them to share that with families, with their families, because if a child is hungry, that can resonate all the way up through the generations. If a senior is hungry and, and, and gets resources, those resources can be shared back down through the generations. And it's modeling modeling eating 
produce, um, and it's, it's sharing the resources in the community. Food policy and funding has been so chopped into tranches of this age group, um, and this age group, and this age group, and this age group, that it's become competitive. I had somebody tell me that, that I couldn't raise, who did anti-hunger work for uh, kids, I couldn't raise money for seniors, for hu senior hunger. And I don't look at hunger, I mean, yes, I'm, I'm in senior services hunger, senior hunger, but I don't look at hunger, at hunger as seniors versus kids versus adults versus, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's hunger. Mm -hmm. Let's solve hunger mm. as opposed to, and let's, there's hunger and then there's food insecurity. And in food insecurity, you also have people not eating the right types of food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I remember, slight divergence, but I remember there was a uh, UCLA School of Public Health did a study um, and went out to McDonald's and asked people why they were eating at McDonald's. Mm -hmm. And the answers were really interesting. Number one, it was clean. Number two, it was warm in the winter and cool in the summer. Number three, the bathrooms were clean mm -hmm. and safe. Number four, it was, the food came far down. Um, if I can only, if I only can afford one meal a day, I can eat this and feel full. And I think that that's really, that's really important. And, and what you just said is such a light bulb moment for me. Um, I really thank you for sharing that. Because again, the rhetoric is, if you listen to people who talk about nutrition, good nutrition, you should be vegan, you should be this, you should be that. It's like, but we're not having a full nuanced conversation then, right? Because my daughter, my uh, my eldest daughter, mm -hmm. you haven't met her yet. But yet. But I she, met two of them. <laughs> <laughs> she went to... Um, Africa. This is the second time she's done this, and this time was longer for three months. Mm -hmm. And when she came back, we were talking about veganism again, and she said, veganism, I don't necessarily feel convinced that that's the answer, because she said, I've just observed people who are incredibly healthy. This is what they have access to. But it's not like they're eating meat for every single meal. It is sparsely done, you know, a, a part of their diet, but they are very healthy people. It's not just about veganism. Right. And so what you just broke down for me, gosh, there's so much in that. Mm -hmm. Safety, security. It's not just about the thing you're putting in your mouth. And I and I think that in nutrition, we've gotten very preachy. Mm -hmm. And in the nutrition programs, it's you should eat this. You should eat that. What if I don't want them? You know, I mean, what if I don't like the taste of this or that? And so much of what we eat um, and we talk about this at work. So much of what we eat really often is based on how our mothers cooked, how our grandmothers cooked. It's part of your identity and it's, culture. It is, exactly. And <clears throat> history. Alice and I talk about it. She's like, Linda, I don't understand why you always do rice with fish. 
And I said, well, I, I, I guess that's how I was raised. Mm. She said, I said, what do you do with fish? She said, well, we do pasta, we do potatoes, we do. And I'm like, you know, again, ding, 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 ding. But these are the conversations we can have because they can tease me and, and I can ask them or they can instruct me on something or pull me up on something, which they did during the pandemic, which we still laugh about. Um, I had the bright idea when everything shut down that the drivers, when they drove to work, should have something that identified them as Meals on Wheels drivers so that they didn't get pulled over for, you know, Mm -hmm. being somebody going to work that shouldn't be out. So I thought, hang tags. You know, you see it all. Google has it. You know, everybody's got hang tags. I overheard Alice and Patty talking. And Pat and Alice said, I'm going to get stopped. I know I'm going to get stopped mm. for hang, hanging something off my, off my mirror. Mm. And I went, you know, mm. slapped myself upside the head. And I said, are you serious? And they said, oh, yeah. Her son was pulled over because he had his, his graduation tassels on his mirror. Now, how many cars do you see with beads and this and that dripping off? How many of the of the stops of the um, police stops have been for hang tags? And it's not the cute little white girls that mm. this happens to. Mm. So I went back to the drawing board, but that was, you know, you know, I'm thinking, well, Google and you see them all over. All kinds of companies have mm. them, right? Not with primarily black uh, staff. Uh, you know, I. Yeah. I mean, talk about policy and procedure <laughs> and being blind. But it's why I do what I do. It's mm-hmm. why I have these conversations mm-hmm. so I can hear these stories mm-hmm. and open up the mind mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because I'm a curious person. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as be- and because I really believe that the health discussion, which we've kind of started to kind of play around with and in our last bit with the nutrition discussion, it's a t- it's a lot more nuanced. Oh, it's not okay. a prescription. Mm-hmm. And it's why I'm so passionate about being the health advocate that I am and I'm becoming. I think that we have really missed the boat on obesity. I think we need to look at obesity as more as an addiction mm. than we do. Mm-hmm. And again, I think this must have gone back to the UCLA public health, but you know, and, and you've read the stories about a young girl who was raped and she puts on pounds to hide so mm. nobody will be nobody will be interested in her again. That's that's not going to be fixed by telling her she should eat more salads. Right. And you know, all the people who added some pounds in the pandemic, I mean everybody, people were either Losing weight or gaining weight. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people in, in stressful situations mm-hmm. who don't mm-hmm. go to one extreme. Mm-hmm. I didn't lose weight, but I started running. And so, because I was the only thing I could think of for build, to build my mental stamina. Mm-hmm. When I figured out it was going to be a marathon, not a mm-hmm. sprint. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that that um, we're looking at things a lot of, in some ways, I think from the health and nutrition corporation approach. Yeah. um, Yes. Wrong. Mm -hmm. I think that 
We need to make it more fun. I'm not into body shaming, but I do think we're going to have some serious health consequences down the road from some of this weight that that got put on during the pandemic that people are not are not looking at taking off. And I'm not, you know, I'm thin, I know that, and I'm not trying to point fingers and shame anybody, but I think there are going to be some long-term consequences, as we know from any pandemic, there are long-term consequences. Yeah. They're looking at long COVID, and mm-hmm. I think I think that's something that's not sort of being discussed that, I mean, it, it, it's interesting. It, it's, um, and it's, con- it's concerning. Um, I'm concerned about our program because I think that our meal patterns are, were set in 1964 mm. and people don't want to eat that way at lunch mm-hmm. anymore, particularly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the congregate meal sites are, some have two, three people eating there. Um, there needs to be more there needs to be more flexibility. Um, and I do try to be cognizant because I do the menus for my sins. I do try to be cognizant of, of sort of cultural norms and things that go together um, that, that may not. We, we used to do, um, <laughs> we sometimes would do mac and cheese as a main course. And my site manager in Benton Harbor said, they want to know where the meat is. Mm. I said, oh, okay. So it's side dish with, you know, chicken or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. <laughs> where's the beef? <laughs> um, so, it, I mean, it's just, and I was a vegetarian for a number of years. So, so now I'm sort of the vegan that eats meat because of all kinds of food sensitivities that I have, but... It comes back to kind of the beginning of our conversation where you're, it's not just about you in, in this martyred, altruistic bubble. It's about the people, the community, not, not only those you're serving, but those, your, your comrades, those alongside you who are helping, keeping the vision alive and, uh, asking good questions, testing things that work, removing things that don't work. It, it's it's a living, breathable thing. It's it sounds like to me is what I've gathered from this conversation because nothing is stagnant. Change is guaranteed. Um, nothing is easy, but if you've got the right team, everyone is on board with the vision and. I've heard a tremendous amount of respect for one another as well. Um, if everyone feels like his, her, their voice matters, then I think it we can make progress. It's what kind of what we all want, and um, you know, we're life is an experiment, and certainly an organization like this is is an experiment that's. It's it's a living, breathing organism that's changing, that's mm. growing and mm. morphing and changing as the seniors change. Um, you know, Gen X is is um, biggest cohort of seniors, and it's going to really change the population of Michigan and and in fact, America. And. Um, if we're to be in senior services, we can't keep looking back to 1960 or 1970 or 1980. We've got to focus on what, on who these people are now. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. they expect choice. Mm-hmm. 
They ex are you know options. They expect flexibility, mm. um, and 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 they in fact demand it. And that's difficult because there's only so much we can do within that. Um, but I keep trying to come up with different ways to give them that. I think this ties in beautifully to my final question for you which is what is your personal definition of what it means to be healthy? Um, well, it's that has been a journey for me, <clears throat> quite a journey. Um, aside from the fact that I discovered I had uh, allergies to all kinds of foods mm. a couple years ago, um, which manifested itself in chronic back pain. Um, so that that was a journey to to give up a lot of food that we all really like, like sugar and chocolate and butter and eggs and <laughs> and so there was that move. There was that movement, and I think it's um, you know it it's a healthy mind and a healthy body, and I recognize right now I'm kind of tipped over more towards um, I'm healthy but I, I I'm too I, in my opinion I'm too far over in one side which is which is focused on work and mm. as the pandemic mm. sort of goes on and on I know more people now who who have covid than I did in 2020 or 2021 that that forces me to keep focusing on that and when I would I would dearly love to be having parties and dinner parties and and doing more social stuff than I've done in a couple years um but it's having friends I have I, I'm one of those people that has a couple really good friends mm -hmm. and then more a number of acquaintances mm -hmm. um unfortunately many of those are elsewhere so have to keep up with them by zoom um it's taking long walks and having time to think and read and listen to good music. One of my friends sends, sends out um, a song every morning. Um, she calls her, her station WSUJ. <laughs> it's the Peace and Justice Station out in mm. D.C. Yeah. Um, and so taking the time to listen to that and think about it and, um, and staying connected and, and having feeling as if I am of use in the world. Linda, thank you for this conversation. Thank you. Thank you for being who you are. Um, and I am so privileged to know you. Thank you. Thank you. practicing yoga with us from the comfort of her own home? 
we foster a peaceful, happy, and safe space in our online yoga classes. Community and relationships matter, so there are no more than 10 women per class. And because we want it to be a good fit, the first month is free for new students. So what are you waiting for? Join today. Book at npkhealthintegration.com. Hope to see you soon.